Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hello and welcome to the Life of a Song podcast. This is the first episode in a new and expanded version of the series, which will run every month. I'm Ludovic Hunter-Tilney, the FT's pop critic, and I'm joined in the studio by David Cheel. Hello, David. Hi, Ludo. David is the editor responsible for the Life of a Song series, which listeners can read every week in the FT Weekend Life and Arts and online. David also has a long and noble history as a music critic and... Uh, he and I today will be discussing the Radiohead song from 1997's album OK Computer, No Surprises. as I mentioned, came out in 1997, is the album that really made Radiohead's reputation. At the time, the New Musical Express, reviewing it, described the album as the one that distances Radiohead from their peers by an interstellar mile. Now, David, you've chosen no surprises from the album. Why? Well, I was thinking about the fact that Radiohead this year are going to be headlining Glastonbury, and it's 20 years since they were at that legendary performance in 1997, which was the year OK Computer came out. And I was there, so I was thinking back to their performance then and the song, and also the fact that the song sort of, after a while, disappeared from their repertoire, sort of, but has sort of crept back in again in recent years. Now, it's the very first song that they recorded when the sessions for OK Computer mm -hmm. began. Uh, can you tell us something about those sessions, how the recording took place? They recorded the album in, in two studios over a matter of several months in in England and um there were by all accounts pretty fractious kind of sessions i don't think uh, they felt they were being terribly productive and i think they relocated to get a better sort of vibe and i think they seemed sort of dissatisfied with with the whole thing and when the album actually came out they kind of thought well the critics are going to hate this uh, and it turned out the various magazines including q magazine voted it the best album of all time and now the sound of the song is very, I mean, it's got a lovely lullaby effect to it, doesn't yeah, it? Um, yeah. Which perhaps we don't always associate with OK Computer. The song's placing on the album, it comes as a kind of a, it comes, I think, after climbing up the walls. It comes as a kind of a relief in a way after that. Although, you know, the song itself juxtaposes that sort of beautiful lullaby-ish sort of um, melody with extremely bleak subject matter. There's a guitar sound in there, which is very much, and I think the band were trying to get this, from Beach Boys' kind of Pet Sounds era, and the glockenspiel is doing the same thing. So it's kind of pretty and tinkly, but incredibly bleak as well. So Climbing Up the Walls, the previous song on the album, is sort of about night terrors. It has in it the line about, you know, make sure you lock your children up safely tonight. Mm -hmm.
So, I mean, I, I think that it shows someone who's in a sort of state of suspended animation in their, in their daytime. So yes, having had exactly. the night terrors in the previous song, it flips yeah. to one where someone is living through a sort of waking sleep. Yeah. And uh, it opens with, with York singing in his inimitable way about a heart that's full up like a landfill, a job that slowly kills you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have one question for you, David. Just which, what job do you think the protagonist of this song is actually doing? Um, it's, it's hard to tell, but I suspect it's something pretty soul-destroying. Tom York said that it's a portrait of somebody who's trying to keep it together but can't. And it's it's curious also that the song came out in 1997, which was kind of a period of in this country's history of relative, I suppose, prosperity. So, you know, you'd think, well, people would be okay. But I think the song's trying to say that, you know, a nice garden, a nice house, a comfortable way of life doesn't always bring happiness with it. You know, internally, you might still be sort of raging or or just numb. I wonder if there's another context to it there as well, thinking of the last years of the John Major's government, when mm. the song, which was first written in, in 95, but then changed a great deal before appearing in 97, yeah. was sort of being worked on during the last years of that Conservative administration, which at the time was very controversial for, for Salise and for mm. John Major's idea of going back to basics, a sort of Victorian morality, which then fell yeah. apart because of yeah. all this laziness. And in the line which he has in the song, you look so tired and unhappy, bring down the government. They don't, they don't speak for us. Yes. Other words, I hear yes. there also a sort of dissatisfaction with this idea of a very prim and proper rhetoric and yes, in fact exactly. a sort of very unprim yeah. and proper practice. Yeah. Yes, I think that's right. I think it's sort of reflective of, uh, of an era of, of, I guess, distrust in politicians and the political system. Um, I'm curious about how you would interpret the And No Alarms and No Surprises chorus that runs through. I mean, how do you, how do you listen to that? How do you hear that? I hear that as him saying nothing of any great magnitude is going to happen. This is a life of uneventfulness, of no great emotional highs, no great emotional lows. It's all very much on a kind of an even keel. It's a kind of a dull, numb kind of existence. It's interesting to listen to it in the present, more fraught era, Mm. um, one of which I think was summed up perfectly by Radiohead's song from last year's album, A Moon-Shaped Pool, Burn the Witch, Mm. a song full of dread, and yeah. anxiety, yeah. which I think does precisely capture the present mood. To listen to this song, I mean, mm. wouldn't one almost want to return to the life of no <laughs> yes, alarms and no yes, surprises? Exactly. Yes, be, be careful what what you wish for. And I, I mean, I wonder about thinking about my uh, wondering about the sort of job that uh, actually in OK Computer, York said that was the first album where he learned to sing in personas. Mm, that's right. In, in different characters. Yeah. And I mean, I do, I love Radiohead and I love OK Computer speaking personally, but I find there is a, this song carries with it a slight sort of sense of I just don't think that York has ever had a nine-to-five job mm, no. <laughs> and no. his picture of it is bleak possibly beyond what the nine-to-five job is able to afford in terms of bleakness yes indeed it's an act of imagination but I guess that's what songwriters do isn't it let's talk also about the music video it has an extremely striking video mm. And shows York singing the song from within a helmet, which slowly fills up with water, giving him the strange goldfish-like. That's right. And and meanwhile, the the lyrics to the song are being projected backwards, i.e., so that he can read them, but we can't. Being scrolled up the visor on his helmet. It's all done in one take, and I guess it captures the sort of essential claustrophobic nature of of the song. And there's a bit of, you know, a bit of a story with the shooting of the video itself, because, you know, I, for one, was sort of taken in by the possibility that Tom York really did hold his breath for that extraordinary length of time. In fact, obviously, they 
speeded up the replay in the studio. So it's a bit of an illusion, but it's it's a terrifying thing to watch. When he comes out gasping as the yes. water goes down, he's been yes. holding his breath impassively under the water. Yeah. And yeah. then as it goes down, he suddenly gasps yeah. away. And, and, and it ties in with a moment of kind of release in the song as well. So it's uh, expertly done. One of the things the video brings out is the sense of being in a sort of strange suspended animation between life and death. And yeah. the album itself has that, I think, has that same attitude towards mm-hmm. technology and its themes, that, as you mentioned, of alienation, yeah. mm-hmm. where it opens with Airbag, yeah. the song which appears to have been inspired by York's a car accident that York That's suffered right. yeah. some decade previously and he was saved by an airbag. Mm-hmm. And in that, it seems that both the airbag technology saves the person who is also in an accident because of technology, the car yeah. crash. Yes, and and then it goes on to that um, the sort of Stephen Hawking-type voice thing with uh, with fitter, happier, with uh, lines like no kisses with saliva and that kind of thing. And again, it's sort of painting a picture of a sort of dissociative state of mind or state of being in which technology is sort of becoming more and more intrusive. And lives are becoming flatter. Smiling in backseat, sleeping well, no bad dreams, no paranoia, careful to all animals, never watching spiders, done up like all. No Surprises was the third and last single Mm. from the album, reaching number four in the UK. The album itself was a did very well in both Britain and the US. Yeah. It was received very uh, favourably indeed in the, in the US in particular. Mm. Do you think that there was uh, the Pink Floyd echoes there particularly carried for the, especially in the United States audience where Pink Floyd was such a huge band? I think definitely. I, th- I think um, Radiohead's roots, they had sort of slightly punkish roots, uh, certainly in terms of their attitude, although not so much in their music. So I think they would probably hate to be described as being a prog rock band, but I think they're extremely you know b- broad influences of prog rock and particularly floyd in in a lot of their music and the the kind of widescreen epic guitar sound that that goes across that album is extremely it's very very pink floyd and also i think it resonates with uh, roger waters sort of lyrical themes with songs like comfortably numb i think they're carrying through that kind of um, idea as well and now you were there at the muddy Glastonbury of 97, where they played their very famous headline set, electrifying mm. everybody there present. Did they play No Surprises in their set? They did. They did. I can't remember what came before or after it, but I do remember it being just sort of a moment of just, you can you know what it is from the first note. As soon as that really bright guitar sound comes out, you know what they're, what, what it's going to be. And I just remember the whole set as being a kind of a respite from the rain and the mud um you've kind of forgot it transcended the surroundings and the conditions what you know? so i mean it's gone down as one of the great glastonbury performances mm. what would you say i mean what what, what what exactly was it about it which i mean did, were they particularly animated on the stage was it that the songs really struck a chord at that time something about it came together i think there's also just that particular moment when tom york just asked the lighting engineers to put the lights on the crowd it's a really simple thing to ask uh, but suddenly I and the crowd, and I think everybody else, suddenly felt, you know, we are here. You know, we felt visible and almost like warmed. It sort of brought us into the into the event. So peculiar that that an album which is so much, you know, full of full of themes of uh, anony yes. and alienation yes, yes. should end up having this uh, this exactly. great togetherness yes. and a wet and bedraggled uh, yes. Glastonbury. And there's yes. no 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 more alienating place than a gl- muddy Glastonbury. <laughs> I find. No, indeed. Um, yes, it it brought people together in in, in a very beautiful way. And of course, as you mentioned, they shall be there again this year, headlining. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
would you expect them to be including no surprises in their set list again? I've been looking at the set lists from the last few months. They're touring around at the moment and they've been bringing the song back in, not every night, but I I would expect it to be there, yes. Because it it disappeared from their repertoire for a long, long time and the the whole OK Computer thing became a huge albatross, just a a burden for them rather rather than a triumph. So they went on to make Kid A was the album that followed three years later, yeah. which announced yeah. a very startling change in direction. Yeah. Um, or at least at the time, it seemed very startling. Mm. Uh, why do you think that OK Computer had become this albatross to them? Why do you think they felt compelled to go and sort of undertake this this act of reinvention? I think they realised that they couldn't because OK Computer had been so lauded around the world and brought them so much attention. And I think they probably realised, or Tom York realised, the only way to follow it up was actually not to follow it up. They couldn't follow it. So I think they just had to do something different. So having consigned it to their own back catalogue, as it were, I mean, other people were free to do cover versions. Yeah. And, um, and it's had a sort of a slightly raggle-taggle history of cover versions, it seems to me. Yeah, it's not one of those songs that have been, you know, that people have uh, done better versions than, than the original. But there are some there are some interesting ones. The Irish singer... Luca Bloom, for instance, just plays it straight. He disposes of the guitar riff and the glockenspiel thing and just strums the the chords on his guitar. It's a very simple rendition, but very effective. No alarms and no surprises No alarms and no surprises No alarms and no surprises So that was uh, Luca Bloom's solo acoustic version Mm -hmm. of the song, which, as you say, David, strips away some of the ornament. Um, I have to say I found it rather lugubrious, (laughs) (laughs) if I'm to be um, critical. Um, I I think it must be a very difficult song to cover in so much as the idea of combining a sort of soothing melody with, as you point out, a sort of disquieting lyric Mm. is very hard to pull off. Yeah, Luca Bloom. However, I mean, we we, we can differ. We can differ yeah. on the on the <laughs> efficacy. You like you think that that's a, a good version. Yes, yes, I do. Um, I've seen footage of him performing it live, in which it's it's even more stripped down and probably even more lugubrious. Uh, <laughs> and I, I think the the stripping down thing is the thing that I that I like about it. Another version was um, also uh, a rather stripped down version. Uh, Regina Spector. Uh, that's right. She recorded it for there was an emergency relief fund charity album and uh, she recorded a just a piano solo piano version of the song it's a little bit more ornamented but very simple i like the what her left hand does on the piano as the song goes on it sort of uh, subtly builds the radiohead version has a sort of subtle building crescendo thing throughout the song and i think she sort of echoes that but in a simpler way i'll take a quiet life ahead Carbon monoxide and no alarms and no surprises. And so there we can hear a sort of a slow and languidly drawn out mm. version, really, which yeah. I, I like. Yeah. Um, I mean, a sense of what surprises might there be lurking yes. amid all of this languor. Yeah. Yes. It's um, again, it's simple but very elegant. And the left hand on the piano is doing that sort of. Uh, 
echoing what the band do. So she's sort of almost doing what a whole band do in just with two hands on the piano. I hear sort of almost as in her version, almost a David Lynch quality. Yes, brought indeed. out of a sort of picture perfect prettiness, which is mm. too much so, so much so that it actually becomes sinister. Yeah, she's she's almost sort of whispering the lyrics at times. A sort of gothic aspect, which yes. is uh, st- very strongly there in the original. Yeah, yeah. Um, a non-gothic version, a very non-gothic version, is by Postmodern Jukebox. That's right. They're sort of um, roving jazz collective. They uh, recorded a very strange swing version, well, uh, an apparently strange swing version in 2016, there's a singer called Chloe Fioranzo who also plays the clarinet. And this is really very jaunty. We were talking earlier about the sort of juxtaposition between the sweetness of the melody melody, and the bleakness of the lyrics. And this takes this a great deal further because it has an, a, an absolutely exhilarating clarinet solo and just a, a sort of an easy language swing rhythm. It's beautifully done. Um, I think it's probably my favourite of, of all the versions. Um, and another version we have, we veer off again in, in uh, genre. Uh, no Surprises has come up with some quite surprising shifts mm. in style, hasn't it, for yeah. its cover versions, with the yeah. Easy All-Stars. David, another shift there from the Easy All-Stars. Yeah, uh, this is the reggae collective who've uh, made a speciality of recording uh, reggae versions of classic rock albums. They're, they're the people who, who gave us dub side of the moon. And uh, and they, they also did an album called Radio Dread, which is uh, OK Computer in its entirety, but done in a reggae style. And it's more than a novelty act, I think. They bring something new to the song, and to the album, there's an old sort of idea that reggae is sort of easygoing, happy-go-lucky kind of music. But I think here they show that it can handle darker subject matter extremely well. And I think they've kind of captured the spirit of the song. And now we're expecting the band to um, reclaim it, as they have in their live shows, possibly yeah. feeling um, a curious feeling of wanting to get it back again after hearing these reggae versions <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and the 1940s swing and the lugubrious folk. Yeah. Um, they've been pairing it in their previous concerts at the Coachella Festival in the United States earlier this year, for instance, with sort of uh, more sinister songs with Paranoid, like Paranoid Android and Burn the Witch. Mm. One thing listening to these versions, which uh, Colin Greenwood, the guitarist, Mm. one of their guitarists, said in 97 when they were promoting the album, that uh, he said about how much he hated Britpop, which then was still obviously a very big Mm. thing. And what he said was, what I really hated about Britpop was all that tiresome irony, as if bands shouldn't be serious things. It seems to me that a song such as No Surprises really brings out that seriousness, which at times they've been caricatured as being too serious. But actually, we should look upon it as it is, as a sort of uh, a song that tries to say something important and succeeds. Yeah, I, I think uh, Noel Gallagher famously derided sort of uh, a lot of bands as being what he called bedwetters, you know, that they weren't sort of hard enough or tough enough. But uh, sensitive streak to most British rock music, which um, Radiohead are fully in that tradition. 
So we shall expect at Glastonbury later on this month to have a field of about 100,000 people singing No Alarms and No Surprises, Let Me Out of Here, (laughs) as the rain pitches down in tribute to the meteorology of 97. Yeah. Yes, well, let's hope that climate-wise it's a happier occasion. But I'm thinking back to it, I mean, at the time, the before and afterwards, it was a bit grim at the time. I didn't care about the rain. It was was one of those times when you think, "This, this is the only place that I want to be right now. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc., The latest episode of The Next Five Podcast is all about AI and the business travel sector. I speak to Tim LaBelle, head of product for SAP Concur Spend Solutions. We'll have so much data that our travel will be safer. Shelley Fletcher-Bryant, VP of Advito. AI can certainly contribute to more eco-friendly travel practices. And author and public speaker, Theo Lau. AI can help us predict when it will be a peak travel, more delays, cancelled flights. Listen to the full episode of The Next Five wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy. Enjoy.